0: You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Rob, uh, I'm back. Dude, Game of
1: Thrones is back. I'm back. Game of Thrones is back. Have you been watching it? I have been. I've been pretty excited. This, I mean, it's not Sunday yet. Episode three has yeah. not happened, I but it want... will have by the time. This is out. And I
0: don't want to give anything away, but uh, things are building up. So no, we're not going to give any spoilers here, but I'm just saying things are building up that you know shit's going to go down. And everybody's got these, you have these dead pools, like who's yeah. going to survive the, you know, who's going to sit on the throne. Yeah, you, would, it was
1: 20, you wouldn't even do it. You had to answer, I you had answer I, I, like yeah. 40 questions. Can all I still alone? do it? No. Well, no one's died. It doesn't well, matter well, because, well, 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 well. because you know. Part of the questions are, what episode did they die?
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. So
1: you're eliminating two that. of six.
0: But you know what? I think Sansa, Jon Snow, and um, Arya might be the final three.
1: All right. So who do you think is going to sit on the throne at the end?
0: I'm going to have to go with... I mean... Podrick?
1: <laughs> no.
0: Daenerys is going is gonna, is gonna to try and kill Jon Snow, and then Arya is going to kill her. It's gonna be this weird bloodbath, and I and I have a picture, I have a feeling of Sansa crawling up to the throne, bloody and just like, hmm. and, and crawling up, and she's the last one there. Anyway, it's gonna be exciting. I can't wait till the final uh, final episodes. But well, our guest today uh, it, you
1: didn't ask me what I oh th-
0: I mean, who I do, think. do you think's gonna be on the throne?
1: Um, well, it's tough because I don't th- I don't think it's gonna be a happy ending. I don't.
0: Tyrion's think- di- dying.
1: Tyrion's he's, dying. He's dying. I don't think the Starks. As a whole, like they're not all going to live and then have the throne. I think Daenerys getting the throne is.
0: Yeah. Anyway, today we've got a great guest, David Nutter. He directs. He directs uh, three of the last six Game of Thrones. Three of the House. last six, one, two, and four. He uh, directed the lo- he re- directed the Red Wedding. He uh, you are going to have get a lot of insight if you are even whether you are a filmmaker or not. You are going to get a lot of insight. This guy has directed. Over 20 pilots have gone to series.
1: Some of those snuck by. I don't know. like <laughs> Smallville, Smallville. Uh,
0: Arrow, uh, Supernatural. This guy is a legend. David Nutter. Anybody and everybody in the industry knows him. If you don't know him and you're out there in the Midwest where I grew up, just listen because it's gonna, you're going to find it interesting. He's a really interesting guy and such a likable guy. Let's get inside. David Nutter. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You. Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. This is a real treat for me. Thank you for allowing me to be inside of you, David Nutter. You come right inside, there's plenty of room. Alan Miles, who created Smallville, they, uh, they're excited. They said, when are you going to have us on? You have him on before us. But I said, hey, he's done a lot more work than you guys. No, no, that's not true. They're great guys, and I love them. They're going to come on. Um, How do we meet? You remember how we met? You have to remind me. Hit me. First of all, I'm sitting with a huge, huge director. He's done so much. You know, I was looking at your resume. I didn't know this shit. I mean, I know you're not somebody who loves to talk about themselves like me but Jack and Bobby without a trace Smallville Dark Angel Roswell Sleepwalkers Millennium Above and Beyond Eastwick Mentalist Terminator Traveler Supernatural The Doctor Arrow The Advocates The Flash Deception these are let me these aren't just episodes of television you directed the pilots for these shows correct yes i've done sold about 20 shows you sold 20 shows and at one point you had 16 in a row that you sold that when you shot the pilot it went to series yes do you ever sit, look in the mirror and say yeah <laughs> you're fucking the shit man
2: no 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 it's it's all about just finding the right material and finding something i can fall in love with
0: do you fall in love easily no you've been with the same woman since what 80, Four. 84 84 30
2: years 30 plus years
0: it's it's just it's crazy to me how like someone that has a body of work like this where, where they come from like were you like you hear about spielberg and you hear about these big directors and they studied at usc and they always wanted to be a filmmaker and was that you
2: I wanted to be the next Barry Manilow. How's that sound?
0: Do you know? Are you kidding? Me? Are you playing with me right no, now? I'm not kidding you because either. you know I'm a huge Barry Manilow fan. Well, there you go. If I can, you name five Barry Manilow songs. Mandy. Copa Could it be magic? Yeah. A weekend in New England. I sang that one in high school with all the old. Back the in New England. Yep. So you wanted to be the next Barry Manilow?
2: I did want to be the next Barry Manilow. It's funny. I wanted to see him at the Hollywood Bowl a few years ago, and I called the ticket scalper. I said, I oh, want the best to teach man rim And the guy says, don't worry. There'll be no problem getting <laughs> <laughs>
0: Were you front row practically? It was
2: fantastic. It was excellent. Did
0: he, and he sang everything, right? Oh, he sang it all. It was beautiful. He's got so much energy. He's fantastic. Did he sing? Even now. Oh, yeah. When I have. And so you're a singer. Well, I started off as one, yeah. Do you still sing? Does your wife catch you singing and go, God, you're an, you have a voice in not, an not, not, not anymore.
2: Not anymore. I've kind of fallen out of it and all that stuff. People don't want to.
0: They don't want to hear it? No. Do you find yourself singing on sets, on pilots? Well, it's crazy. I, did, I
2: just was at a concert at the Hollywood Bowl. I had Michael McDonald. I was there. Kenny Loggins. I was there. And Christopher Cross. I brought 50 of my friends for my of birthday. Of course, of course. I knew every song. Wasn't it amazing? It was fantastic. It was a great concert. I keep, forget, <laughs> not
0: in love anymore. Yeah, oh, yeah, fantastic. See, I love it because you're around my age. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And I'm you, older, much older. You're much older? Yeah. How old are you? 58. Are you 58? Yeah. You have such a soft, sweet face. Soft, sweet, young face, David. <laughs> you do. You look, Doesn't he look young? He doesn't look 58. He just nods. I only feel, I only feel 58. You feel 58? Yeah. No, no, what it was,
2: it was the fact that uh, in high school, I, I sang, and I, it was musicals, the whole thing acted, and the whole deal. I loved doing that so much. I went to college. I was a voice major. And then when I got into college, in the first year of college, I realized that I'm not going to do what I want, be what I want to be. I'm not, gonna, not that good. Then I started to write music. I started maybe the business of music and did that. None of that really was something that turned me on. And in 1980, I took a filmmaking class because I was going to maybe write music for movies. Right. And the roll up your sleeve process of making movies, and I wrote music for this little movie I did. I said, maybe I can touch an audience through that. Through music, through yeah, score. Through score, like like next John school.
0: Williams. Well, exactly,
2: with Thomas Newman or something. But then I decided. Through directing, if I just wrote my it was more of a blue collar profession in some respects. At that point, it was just hard that hard work. And I was at a film school in which they had a lot of equipment, but not a lot of students. Where was this University of Miami,
0: Florida? Hard to get into? No, not at all. It wasn't. wasn't. wasn't much of a film school at all. Try really. getting into Western Kentucky University. Exactly. Easy, exactly. Pretty easy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Good school. But uh, yeah, they kept saying U for me, but I was always too busy, too busy uh, making films and so forth. It was the kind of thing in which I, I just loved making films, and I just started getting into that, and I started doing films that way.
0: Well, how did you know you were? How did you know you were good? I mean, first of all, were you popular in high school?
2: Well, you know, I was popular in the, in the in the theater department and that kind of stuff in music.
0: So people were like, "This guy is a talent. He could sing. Could you dance?"
2: In ninth grade, I just moved to Clearwater, Florida, and I just moved there from a little small town called Venice, Florida, and I had a high tenor voice. And I had done I'd all state choir and all that kind of stuff as a young junior high school kid singing churches and so forth. And they were doing the high school uh, in high school they were doing the musical Music Man. So the music teacher and his wife his wife was you know, the voice teacher. She said, "Well, you should be more Washburn. You know that shapoopy shapoopy kid." <laughs> so, and I came was seeing all the other all the young you know high school students, the seniors, the juniors, and all that kind of stuff, checking out these other people who they were thinking about, the, the people they were thinking about to play Harold Hill. And I went, okay, yeah, yeah. So I did all my rehearsals for Marcel Sportsman and so forth. But on the weekends, on the weekend, I rehearsed Harold Hill and got it down, the whole moves, all the moves, the dance moves, the wow. whole thing, learned it and everything. And I tried for that, tried out for that role. And everyone was like,
1: holy shit.
2: Because they had to give me something because I got it to, got to perfectly pretty much compared right. to everybody else. And from that moment on, I realized that if you work hard enough, and really focus dreams can come true and i just basically at that point you know have always taken that adage and uh, and really worked very hard to get the stuff i want
0: i think that i think that's true i think that a lot of times people they're missing an element like you could want to be something all you want but if you don't go out and just get it and focus and really because you could be distracted easily. You could, uh, you know, you could, people, a lot of people don't have the talent. But if they work hard at something, you think dreams can be met. You, you well,
2: can, I, I didn't really have all the talent myself. I mean, I learned how to direct in directing, you know, in the sense that I directed a series, The Adventures of Superboy, for 20 episodes
0: right after, right out of the uh, film school and after I directed so it was a feature. why? Why would they give you that? I mean, right out of school, how good were you that you took a, a film, cl- a directing class, and you were that good? Here's what kind of happened. It was at an early spring, I'll say. Uh, in
2: my last year of film school, or what really kind of happened was I took a – it was in the music program. and In the three years in the music program, I decided to take some film classes. So I told my mom, oh, I'm getting a communications degree. But all I was, all I was taking was, communicate, was film classes. I wasn't thinking anything else required. Really? So I said to myself, well, this something better happen here. So there was another fellow student, George Fernandez, who was a Vietnam veteran. Right And George had uh, written a play called Vietnam Trilogy. And he won basically video tapes this, this play he did and try to sell it to Showtime. And I was the, kind of the most successful director there in, in the school. And he said, why don't you direct it? And it was about uh, three acts of, uh, he was a Vietnam of veterans. So the first act was about a group of veterans in the 60s, in, in country, 70s. And the second act was a group of veterans in, in a pool hall, angry and bitter. And the third act was a husband and wife talking to a psychiatrist about post-traumatic stress disorder. And in 1983, who knew about PTSD? Nobody talked about that.
0: Nobody talked about that.
2: So I said, George, why don't we take this third act and make a movie out of it and turn that into something and utilize sequences in the 60s and 70s and do flashbacks and things like that. He said, Okay, let's do it. We came out to Los Angeles. I was kind of reminding myself coming up to your place tonight, driving along Mulholland Drive and. We rented a room at the Chateau Marmont. We were auditioning actors and the whole thing. But there was one actor I wanted to hire that I'd only seen him in one movie. And I'd heard that he was uh, you know, not working a lot. He had, had five field pilots in NBC. He just got out of AA and just got into AA and was someone that no one really thought much of. But I had this feeling. Who was it? His name was Don Johnson. So he came to Miami. We hired him for the movie. In 1984, January of 84, in the shooting of that movie, at the end of the shooting of the movie, I went to his trailer one day and I saw he had a script in his trailer in his, in his room called Miami Vice. And I told him that Anthony Yarkovich was a writer and, my, and Michael Mann was a producer. And John, Don didn't know who Michael Mann really was. So I said, Don, all I can tell you, Jericho Miles, the thief, Michael Mann's a tremendous talent. you got to really take this seriously. This is a tremendous project, I bet. The producer came down, they was, met Don on our set, we talked to them and so forth, saw that Dan, Don was just you know straight and narrow, working hard. He became Sonny Crockett. Do you still talk to him? No, nah, not really. We haven't, we haven't lost touch, I guess.
0: Did he ever call you and say, Dave, you were right? <laughs> God, well, thank God you walked into my trailer. No, I doubt that.
2: No? No, but so so then Don, uh, so then I moved out. So I, I waited, we waited about a year before we got a distributor. And back in those days, independent films were like, there was Us and Heartland, maybe just a few other things. It was really rare to get... get and you were only 19? I was 23. Hmm. And getting a distributor and so forth was difficult. So we finally got a distributor. The moved moves Los Angeles in 1986, thinking that, oh, this is going to really happen for me now. Because we had great reviews and great responses and so forth. And it was the thing in which... Uh, one thing about the movie that was very successful was the fact that we were playing it at vet centers. And veterans were seeing it. Oh, for the first yeah. time veterans were watching this movie... And they were, like, in tears. How powerful is it, that? It was really quite something. It was the kind of thing in which David Sheehan was a film critic at the, for CanBC out here. And he, he basically heard, David Sheehan's going to review your picture tonight. So I'm all excited. I sit down and watch the TV at 11 o'clock, 11.15. He comes on. And he says, well, you know, I wouldn't have gone and seen it. was a Thursday night. He does, he does a review. I wouldn't have gone and seen this movie except for Don Johnson, of course, was on Sunny Son, Crockett and on Vice advice on Friday nights. blah but all I can tell you is one thing: ceasefire is a major achievement in modern day screen dramas. I was like, Whoa.
0: "Wow!" Heart so just, it stopped. just stopped.
2: Um, and I said, well, this is going to be something that's going to happen for me." I guess yeah. I got an agent. I started to take meetings and so forth, and 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 so on and so forth. And but the problem was, I wasn't a writer. I didn't have that next project. Didn't have that like, what's that? What's next? What's, what do I do, next? What do, you do yeah. next? And I'd say, I don't know, but I'm ready. Right. So I should have kind of gotten into television because that's kind of where that kind of thing was was happening, which I should have gone into. But I didn't. So I, basically, I waited a year. Couldn't get arrested directing traffic. I used to play golf when I was in junior high school. I hadn't played golf in high school. Didn't play golf in college. Played golf in LA. In Los Angeles. What else am I going to do? I'm, yeah, a direct, I'm, a, I'm a director, right? I can't do anything else. You know, when you're a director, you're you're jack of all trades, master of none. Right. So, I went up on a Monday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, went and played golf with two buddies of mine. Some guy joined us. This guy was Patrick Hasberg. He had just created a new show called Twenty and Jump Street. Eleven years prior to that, he was a ski instructor in Aspen, Colorado.
0: A ski instructor. Yes,
2: for Michael Ovitz, for Mike Eisner, and Stephen Cannell, three big uh, big weeks at the time. Stephen Cannell took him under his wing. Patrick had created Hardcastle and McCormick, which was a hot TV show at the time. And Patrick started to ask me questions. I was kind of bitter at the time. I'd been out here a year. I didn't think I'd ever work again, or what would happen.
0: Did you tell him about the review, the great review? <laughs> I, did, I didn't. I would have brought theory. that up first. Well, I'll tell you what happened one year ago. Yes,
2: exactly. Yeah. We had a great round. I played a great round of golf. Show like eighty-seven. <laughs> I really kicked everybody's ass. It was fantastic. We went to, went to the bar afterwards, and he says, "I'm going to give you a call tomorrow." I said, "Oh, great. Yeah, sure, sure, right, whatever." The next day, my agent called me, and he said they want to hire you to direct an episode of Twenty Jump. Come jumpsuits. on.
0: That that easy? You play golf? You're personable? Steve Beers, the producer, he
2: called Steve Beers, the producer, and said, Steve, I want you to hire David Nutter to direct an episode. And Steve says, OK, well, I'll get his movie. We'll take a look at it. And Patrick said, no. Said, no. Hire, him. hire him. I was in my fourth day of prep in Vancouver for my episode. And Bill Nuss, one of the producers, walked in my office, and he goes, you did go to film school, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like yes but you never directed the tv no 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 but i i was ready
0: so i, I you know I, I was hungry enough and how I was do ready. you get ready does your has your technique tra- changed since you know prepping for uh 21 jump street as it does for game of thrones
2: you know it doesn't i i i often forget that i know what i know so i treat it like it's my first job always there's the fear. There's the sense of dread. There's a sense of I got to beat myself up to get through this. But I've learned that since uh, in the last couple of years, I have to enjoy it more. But as far as the the workload and so forth, as far as
0: the workload is concerned, as far as the preparation is concerned, this is a question for me. This is a selfish question. How do you get through? How do you? How are you good to yourself? How do you try to have fun? How do you? This is a question that should be so easy. You're doing what you love. It should love it, but you were so hard on yourself that you. Were, it sounds like you weren't enjoying it for a long time because it was so much stress. But you just said that you 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 try to enjoy it more now. You try to. How do you do that, or how did you manage to change the way you were thinking?
2: Well, I, I think what happened was is that I w- I would enjoy it, but I wouldn't admit to it. I think some some other some some respects, and also too, we both can kind of refer to some. We both had a. a uh, connection on is our backs and I had True. you know a couple of years ago I had terrible back surgery I had another bad back surgery I had knee surgery and so forth I yeah. had really beat myself up and I realized when I finished that that I didn't know if I'd ever direct again My confidence was gone I wasn't sure I
0: remember when you were on Smallville and you directed this wonderful pilot yeah which people still talk about which was changed my life yeah the show changed my life you directing that pilot was a, a integral part of who, who, who and where I am now and i remember the second episode when we got picked up for 22 episodes you came on set and i noticed that you were having problems with your back yeah and i could relate because i had had surgeries at yeah. that time my back was okay sort of i hadn't had i just remember people don't understand when you're in pain if you have friends who are in pain or back pain or neck pain or whatever it is if you don't have it you cannot understand it it is debilitating it is you, you know it's your backbone it's it's how you move every day. And so trying to work and doing something you're passionate about or trying to just be happy and live in the moment is hard when you have this pain. Oh, very much so. And it's the kind of thing too, you don't wanna you don't
2: wanna over medicate and do all those things which can be a real problem mistake, but it's a thing which you realize that you have to take care of yourself. And I think that uh, by finally taking care of myself now I now I appreciate it a whole lot more.
0: Yeah, do you think um I mean unhappiness or the stress or because you, you were in a lot of pain and you were just trying to get through days. No,
2: no, no. Uh, the pain was really pretty much isolated to that small Smallville, the first episode of Smallville where I had a, a lower back issue and I had epidurals fixed that and have to have surgery. And then I was pretty good for many, many years up until 2015 when my knee went out
0: on me. Did it go out while you were working?
2: It, start, it started to hurt me on the end of Game of Thrones.
0: Which episode? Which
2: was uh, episode 509, 510, which was the final two episodes of season five. Where Jon Snow is, uh, is killed, and uh, and uh, Danny saved by the dragons, and the Walk of Shame occurs, and lots of things
0: gonna happen. So you're directing the biggest episodes of the year for the biggest show on television, and you can barely get through it. Is that what you're telling me? No, it wasn't so so bad. But
2: but when I came home after after finishing that in December, I had to, I have a commitment to go direct a pilot, so I went to Atlanta to direct a pilot called uh, Containment about a virus that takes over Atlanta, to C- the CW, and then it started to hurt. And it didn't really kill me. It get, I didn't go down until basically I, I was packing to leave to go back home. I got to the airport, and I realized I couldn't walk to the, to the gate.
0: How long did, did you end up having surgery? Yes, I had surgery right away. They said you can't wait any longer. You're going to lose feeling in your leg.
2: I had, need, I had what was the doctor called avascular necrosis, where you have bone-on-bone.
1: Oh my uh, God, car this just
2: sounds on. awful. So I did that, and then uh, my back kept hurting because I thought it was just walking incorrectly because of the knee, and realized it wasn't that at all. So I went back in, and in October I had the uh, bone fusion in my lower back. But then a year goes by because that bone fusion didn't hold; the screws weren't big enough. So I had to get screws bigger Jesus screws Christ. the next year.
0: Inside of you is brought to you by Rocket Money. slash inside how do you remain happy because i've had a lot of issues and i'm just like god man sometimes it's just hard to be You just you're on set all day you're talking to people you're living your life it's probably got to be a pain in the ass for your wife to be like oh my god he's in pain he's like i'm sure she feels for you but she's probably it's probably hard on her well being on the other side of it now it was very difficult
2: it was pretty much it wasn't a good thing yeah it was not a good thing at all but i think that uh we have to experience the darkness to appreciate the light.
0: I think that's that's wonderful. I, we really do. Th- that there is a light. Sometimes you think there's not. Yeah. And I think that's important to know that, hey, you're through going through something tough now. And that's how I try to look at things. When things very much good. so. I mean, what else are you going to do? Say, oh, it's going to be like this forever? No, you say, okay, well, tomorrow's going to be a better day.
2: Yeah, well, what happened was that I did season five of Game of Thrones, and then I just took season six off, and I said I would come back for season seven. And that's when... Uh, my bone fusion didn't hold. So what happened was is that I had to turn that down, and it broke my heart. And then December of two, two, December of 2016, I just had my second back surgery. I was feeling better. I wasn't 100% at all. And we had talked about, oh, come back for season 18, come back, come back, come back. And I said, yeah, yeah, but they have to see me. So at Christmas uh my wife and I went to Austria, where she's from, to see her family. And I said, well... If we're going to do that, I need to stop and see my family, too. And they were in Spain shooting. So we stopped in Spain, and they hooked me up, and I got to the set, the Game of Thrones set. I met my Game of Thrones family, I guess is what I meant to say. Yeah. but I knew what you meant. I know. But what happened was, I got there on a Sunday, and I said, what's going on? It was an old, old, you know, of course, a ancient city, and it had a little courtyard, a little Piazza area, of course, and where all the uh, little uh, cafes are and so forth. And I walked down there. And people started coming out of the walls. People started coming out of the the, the, the courtyard. People
0: would see David me. David Nutter's here. Yeah. They love you. It was really something special. Isn't that something when you're in? And, and I felt like that because you only directed an episode and a half of Smallville, yeah, right? Maybe right. two episodes. And I remember after the pilot saying, how many's David going to do? And they're like, ah, oh, well, he goes on. He directs pilots. He gets shows started, and he's there. But he goes off and does all these things to. He, he gives people, a, you know, a, a series, a, a chance to grow. He do, he does the pilot, and then it's done. Right. And it broke. It did break my heart because I we had such a connection on Smallville, and I just felt like the way you move the camera and the way you put everyone at ease with the way you directed, and to be directed by you is pretty fascinating because a lot of directors come in, in there, and it's just. They don't know how to talk to actors, or they just say, "Okay, you stand there, you stand there, and we're going to do this. We're going to do this. It's going to be great." You, you had so much enthusiasm all the time. Just, hey, Michael, here's what we're going to do. You're going to be in the Luther Mansion. You're going to be fencing, okay? And we're going to hear the sound, and the steady cam's going to come around, and it's going to find, it's going to pick up on this, and it's going to find you, and you're going to go to the bar, and you're going to take your helmet off, or whatever, and there, and then we're going to discover you, Lex Luther, for the first time, with this big smile, or whatever. I don't know whatever it was. And you just t- you explained the scene, you had enthusiasm, you knew what the character was more than I did. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Oh yeah, you did. Well, I just said, you know, I I learned my lines. I'm going to hit my mark. This guy I'm in good hands. I got to be in good hands. I was I thought they were going to fire me. I didn't know. Right. I've never done a serious role on television or a movie like this and you put my mind at ease. I felt like I got a chance with this guy. This guy is going to give the be- get me to be the best I can be.
2: Well, you know, Michael, you're, you're, you're such an amazing talent, and to realize that you were willing to shave your head for this role, which is a pretty massive deal, seriously, and willing to give that up for it, that I wanted to make sure that you had every opportunity to, to shine as I knew you would. Well, you know what what happened with me, on, on, as far as the pilots are concerned, it was kind of interesting. My, my first pilot I directed was a thing called Space Above and Beyond for... Morgan and Wong, who uh, did the and uh, Jump Streets and brought me on the X-Files. And I did the, my first part with it was a big two-hour shot in Australia. And um, I did that pilot, and then I was going to stay on as producer-director. And it, it, something didn't work out. I can, can crash it or something. I didn't do that. So the next year, I, I started reading it, the materials and so forth, started to read feature scripts, the whole thing. And I went back to the X-Files because that's where the best writing was. So I went back to the X-Files, did that, and then I, uh, after doing that, I then hooked up with Chris Carter and I did the Millennium Pilot with Lance Hendrickson, which was a pretty hot and busy, pretty
0: cool show at the How time. How was he to work with? Was he easy to work with or was he tough? Chris? Lance. Lance Hendrickson. Well,
2: you know, it was interesting. Lance was, he 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 let me, he he's a, was such a pro, and his character was so specific. You know, Chris Carter is always very specific with with his writing, and... He just he went out he went out and did it. The, the 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 most interesting part was the fact that when we finished shooting the pilot, because the Frank Black character was so, so in a sense into himself, so in a sense dour, so much so little emotion and so forth, he kind of was so sitting there by himself and kind of, kind of kept saying, "I don't know if I did anything," you know. And one of the examples of that was there was a big scene in which where he's basically explaining to all these cops and so forth about the Frenchman who's the serial killer. You know, what he's like and why his the way he is. And he starts going into this verse of French literature, and he had, he had all these various things and so forth, and he starts telling the story and so forth and moving his hands. And Chris comes over to me and he says, you know, people who talk like this are trying to, trying to sell something with their hands moving. People with their hands in the pocket are bored. So he should just basically say the words with his hands at his aside. And Lance couldn't do that. Wow Because it was very difficult just tell an I don't actor. know if I could do that Because yeah, I yeah, talk yeah, with my hands as exactly. a human tell, being Tell an actor Put your hands down to your side And just tell everybody That's, that's just
0: impossible and and it, and Lance
2: did it 20,000 feet later He did it But but, he, but what's interesting was this was the fact that Lance so inhabited this role And it was also important that, that In order to do that We did lots of research I'll go back to Don Johnson And *Ceasefire*. I spent six months In vet centers Going throughout the country Sitting in vet centers And talking to guys I was twenty three years old. I had no idea what that what that was all about. the The movie uh, played in in all these theaters, and and vets for, were coming out in tears. They did a Today Show episode about about that film, how it affected veterans. And I kept saying, "Well, we walked blind in the fire. But we had a firm step." And with that attitude, I've always said that it's all about the research and the preparation. So with uh, Lance, did the same thing. Did a lot of research, did a lot of preparation. And at the end of the shooting the pilot, he got up there and said, "I don't know if I did anything." So you did so much. And he got nominated for for the Golden Globe. I was so excited. I mean, what
0: is it about like you'd say, like your strengths and weaknesses? Like what's the why so much success? Why does the biggest show on television ask you to come back? And why does the crew walk out when you you land in Spain to see why I know it's your charisma. I know it's just, but obviously you're incredibly talented. What about your talent differentiates you from other directors that makes, because look, obviously there's a lot of great directors, but what it is about you, what's your strength? What What is it that you know you could bring that other directors aren't, that they want you for?
2: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a little, maybe a little self-serving because I'm not, I'm not the most talented. No one loves the people he works with more. No one gives a shit about them more. No one wants to inspire people more. No one wants to be able to get people and make them feel something more um, than that. I can say that. Uh, it's been a thing where for my own self. Is you know, and you may have been involved in this when the smallville pilot or whatever. But always at the end of a show, when I finish shooting a show, I get really emotional. You do. I remember you crying. Yeah, I get going, and because it's really quite something, because everyone gives their gives their gives their soul to, to, to a chance, and put the gave me the opportunity to, to like to trust me, and that's something I take very very seriously. I take the trust, I take that that very very seriously with people, and I, and I also let them know that it matters to me, that they matter
0: to me, and that's that's what I felt. But the, but there's even something beyond that. I think all that translates on screen because you care so much about them and their characters and their work that maybe that's what the talent is.
2: Well, I think so, too. I think it's a situation in which um, if, if, if you're not feeling it when you're shooting it, you can't expect the audience to catch it. You know, it's, it's the type of thing which we when I did The Red Wedding for Game of Thrones, the, the big sequence at the end of the show, I shot it in a way that the last shot of the sequence was Caitlyn dying. And just before that... Rob Stark dying. And so what happened was the fact that it uh, was shot at the build-up, shot of the build-up, and order, set up in a way and order and so forth. And he was, of course, he was shot with arrows, and then his wife was, was stabbed in the, in the stomach, and she went to the ground, and she's bleeding to death. And he was shot with arrows, and he crawls over to his wife. And as he's kind of leaning, you know, hunched over his wife before he uh, gets his final knife by Ruth Bolton, he starts to look at her and see her blood flowing out of her, and she's dying. And I started to speak to him about love and relationships and all the kind of whatever. And he started to go, get very emotional. And I called cut, Cal, we finished and so forth. And I turned around, and all the makeup and hair girls were in tears. And I realized at that point, I'd realized that before, I think, too, but I realized that if you're not that far into it, how can the audience be that way? And what was so satisfying to me, what was so nice to feel, was when the when they did all the... Audience reaction videos that people oh seeing the end God. of the Have you wedding? seen those,
0: Rob? Yeah. By the way, this is Rob, David. <laughs> hey, Rob. How are you, buddy? <laughs> Rob started young. I'm 46, no kid. Look at him over there, 29 with a kid. It's amazing. 30. <laughs>
2: 30. Yeah, but uh so, so to me, it's always been a situation in which it's
0: really that's all I got is that. I showed a girl I was dating that scene. She goes, I don't want to watch Game of Thrones. I don't, I'm not into all that old ancient shit. And I'm like, you have no idea. Just, she goes, no, I'm not watching. I go, you know what? Then I swear to God, I dropped it right now. I go, how about you watch a scene with me? A 10-minute scene. Will you watch that? Out of context, you're just going to... And she sat down, and I showed her the Red Wedding. I showed her the Red Wedding. I go, I don't care. You're going to watch this, because I can prove to you what a great show this is. That's the scene that came up. And I watched that. I made her watch it. She goes, I had never seen the show. I didn't want to see the show. I'm not into TV. And she was in tears. She was in tears just in one scene without knowing anything that's going around, who these people are, hasn't been invested in these people. And that shows you how powerful. To me, that scene, I say to this, and I'm not saying this because you're here, is not only the best scene probably in TV history. Okay, that's how I feel. I feel like Game of Thrones is the best show in the history of television. And and I didn't want to watch it either, to begin with. I was four seasons back, and my friends all said, Rosenbaum, you have to watch. And I was like, I don't – you know, I don't watch a lot and we all sat down here, and they watched me. They wanted to watch it with me, re-watch the show so they could see my reaction because they knew what their reaction was when they first watched it. Sure. So when I watched this – I try to tell people it's like watching a major motion picture, like when Gladiator came out with Russell Crowe. Sure. It's like seeing Gladiator every week. So true. That's what it's like. The impact that show has had on millions and millions of people. But for me, it's just like I get, I'm watching the production value, the acting, the story. It's just the best thing. And so. Anyway, I don't know where I got with that.
2: No, but, but such amazing writing and so forth. And, you know, every character wants something. Every character has, a, has a, their own mission in their own life, has their own agenda, which is fantastic because so much of the time you don't get that kind of depth and, 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 and degree of, of, of difference in characters and, and uniqueness in the characters and so forth. And, and their actors are all so spot on. They're fantastic.
0: Who is your favorite? You can't say because you're going to go back. You're going to go back and direct three more, right? No, the seasons, it's all over now. You're done? It's all done. But you've done it?
2: Yeah. I've so been, you've directed, I, I've three, directed of them. three of the final six episodes of the series.
0: I know you can't tell me anything. <laughs> right? Because HBO, Game of Thrones, they'll kill you.
2: Oh, yeah. I'll be dead.
0: But can you? Can I try to get something from you? You can try. Okay. To try. Is there a moment like The Red Wedding where I'll be like, oh, fuck. Will the audience be, oh, fucked at least a couple times in that six episodes?
2: I promise you, yes. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You looked at me. I more could than wish twice. Could see, I wish you could more than, see her face. More than twice. Like, who lives? <laughs> <laughs> if you had one person, Rob, who would you want to live? Mm. Me, I know, the Hound. Don't say anything. But the Hound, to me, he's that's my favorite character. I don't know what, what it is about him, but that he's a fucking badass. I love when he says, you're a cunt. You're a cunt. You're a cunt. Tyrion.
2: You know what I'm talking about? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, Tyrion, he's, he's, Tyrion? He's, the, he's the greatest. But I'll tell you a story about Roy. Roy was an actor that uh, played the hound. The hound, of course, he's, he's just tremendous. Well I came on second season, and they had a little issues with, with his, his acting, his performance, and, and he hadn't done a lot of acting and so forth. he had a great look and hadn't done a whole lot of acting. And, and there was a sequence that he was supposed to do and someone else actually did the lines for him and so forth, whatever. And, and then they said, "Well, David, you have a big scene with him, and we want to you know spend some time with him and so forth and, and get him to like, you know, hopefully, whatever." And I watched all the stuff, and I sat down with him. I looked at him. We talked for a few minutes. And I said one thing. I said, quit acting. He be just like Clint Eastwood, just say the fucking words. And that's what he
0: started to do. He, he would just
2: say what he wanted to say. From that on, they thought I was like a magician or something.
0: Because you told them to just do nothing, be you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like... I-, I heard crazy shit. Like, he lives in the woods. Like oh yeah yeah he, he's he, like a mountain man yeah he is he uh he he basically
2: uh he's definitely uh there's a great story i heard where he and gerard butler and uh there's this guy from iceland who who i worked with once who i thought was, he's, he's almost like a uh, arnold Schwarzenegger, real handsome good looking big muscle guy right where the three of them went out to go went out to the wilds of iceland and uh Roy and and uh, Yuri, who was the two guys, they went off to look for firewood to kind of make some fire. And as they did that, Gerard Butler left the car, car the battery on the car, because he was waiting in the car for them, to keep keep warm. And by the time they got back, the battery was dead. So basically, they got back, and Roy went off into no man's land for, for like many miles to go get. And
0: Roy had left, just walked through the woods for. Yeah miles on end
2: yes and he came back with a with a wheelbarrow and a, and a battery for the car
0: <laughs> and that's who he was it was him absolutely I want to meet that guy he's a fantastic guy he's a big guy yeah a very big guy yeah he's my favorite uh I mean did you were you intimidated directing Game of Thrones when you first started I mean because you've looked like you I've your body work is ridiculous but I mean this is like did you know what you were getting into like what was your first episode
2: uh well, you know it was season two it was one episode, three or four or five or six or something, one of the middle episodes. Were you nervous? I was. I'm always
0: nervous. But this is even bigger than nervous. This is like
2: well, you know, I have to tell you, Game of Thrones wasn't Game of Thrones yet, in a sense. Season two, it hadn't grown up to that. But it was. Uh, I knew how good it was just from from everything I'd seen it and so forth. But and I was. I'm always very nervous, you know, no matter the situation. But you know, it's a situation you're just going to jump in. And I also realized this is the fact that. Actors want to be directed. They do, don't they? They want to know from the director that the director's there
0: watching what they're doing. If you don't say anything, it's, God, it's like, oh my God, what's going on?
1: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s.
2: It's interesting, you know. Years ago, I did Band of Brothers, and these young actors—there were so many of them at the time. And they've all many become stars. You know, Michael Michael Fassbender, James McAvoy, all these guys. And uh, what happened was is the fact that they would see these guys shoot a scene, and then you'd hear cut, and all these young guys like standing around, okay, what's happening now, whatever, right? So what I started to do was I came in, and I directed episode four, and. I started to do these big scenes with all the actors, and after I'd finished the scene, it was either a great action sequence or something cool would happen or whatever. i turned to the guys and I'd say, butter, baby. It just came out, I don't know what that was. Just let them know that it was really fantastic.
1: Wow. Just
2: to let them know at the time that they did a great job because they weren't getting any
0: of that. And that helped probably substantially. They liked it. For, for many years after that they look at me and say butter baby butter baby yeah. isn't there some actors that just go <laughs> let me ask you has there ever been an actor who just like i don't need your direction i don't need your approval i know what i'm doing fuck off um yeah but none of those anybody that's ever said
2: that to me is, is not much of an actor
0: really so it's never been one of the greats it's never been a great actor who gives you shit it's always the shitty ones
2: you know i've directed james Grant Lafini, Edie falco on *Sopranos* and and you know even George Clooney I've you know, worked with ago on, on before he was even before he already directed. It. And always, I directed gentlemen. Brad Pitt before he did. what you uh, directed with Brad Pitt? What happened was is that uh, go back to Patrick Hasberg, Stephen Cannell. Patrick Hasberg not only discovered me, but they discovered a couple other guys who have much bigger red, red credits: Johnny Depp, oh yeah, and Brad Pitt, and George Clooney. He started George Clooney the show too. Uh, Brad Pitt had done a series for Patrick Hasberg in Vancouver called Glory Days about young kids, young guys in a high school newspaper. And they basically did like seven episodes and it tanked. Didn't do right. anything did anything well. So Patrick, uh, after having directed the 20 Jump Street for him, he said, I'd like you to come over and shoot like a wraparound of these seven episodes and we're we'll selling internationally. So Brad Pitt is going to basically, we're going to put in some makeup Make him look like he's uh, forty years old. And this is right when Thelma and Louise was coming out, right? And he was exploding. And um, we'll do a little wraparound for each of the episodes, and you'll direct Brad Pitt. And, you know, at that point he was just another young actor getting started, and he was great. He was great. Just
0: nice. With. Just wanted you to just talk to him. Absolutely, absolutely. So true.
2: Do you, and, you uh, know they, they? They're all because they, it's a situation in which you uh, you you got to find your end sometimes with the actors and so forth. You know, I. I I directed the Jonathan Price in Game of Thrones. Jonathan Price oh, yeah. Tony winner Emmy winner Was that intimidating at all to... That was very intimidating but you know what it is I, I like to sit down with an actor and, and spend some time with him prior to. And what I did was I sat down with Jonathan Price and I and I tried to find that thing that I can say to him that no one else has said to him. And I spoke to him I just want to talk, I said Jonathan I just want to tell you one thing. You're the greatest listener I've ever seen act. Have you ever watch, wow. if you ever watch, um, Glenn Glen
0: Ross, one of my favorite movies.
2: There's a sequence where Pacino, he in the whole movie, he's, he's listening and watching. There's a sequence he's going Pacino. on to
0: him about like this. He's yeah, in like, oh, the wife. bar. Oh, oh, yeah, in the beginning.
2: Yes, and, and Jonathan Price just sitting listen to him speak. And it's amazing how what a tremendous actor he is. Train apartment and, and, smell vaguely of shit.
0: Exactly. Yeah, he does that whole thing. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. And but but I think the minute I said that to him, he trusted me. And I've also gone up to actors and, you know, big time guys like him, and they may have gotten a, a phrase wrong or something incorrectly, whatever. And I, you got to tell them. But also, yeah, I let them know that I'm there watching what they're doing, yeah. Because a lot of directors are worried about the big picture; and they don't think about what's the important part in the middle, you know, the, the two eyes. Yeah. So I always want actors to know that that really matters to me. And also, I, I spend a lot of time with them in the sense where. I will, you know, talk to them about, you know, this is just, this is important of the scene and so forth. But I want you to know, if we get to this moment, I'll come to you and let you know, are you, are you happy with it? And if you are, then we'll move on to give them. So the, you're the
0: already chance. happy at this point. You just want to know if they're happy.
2: Well, especially if it's something life-changing in the character. You know, a lot of Game of Thrones episodes in the past. It's been situations where characters just their
0: last scene, or the last, either the last scene alive, or the last scene the actor's going to shoot. Have they ever know? Did they ever not know that? But you knew, like they weren't. Did they always tell the actors on Game of Thrones like this? This next episode, you're going to die, or did they? Did it, it ever happen where they didn't tell them and they just came on set and they're like, wait a minute, what the fuck? Well,
2: I, I will. I will tell you a, a, rap, a kind of story similar to that, but not exactly that. I directed season five, and that was the death of Jon Snow. And at the end of that, after we shot the sequence, they said, "You know, we need to tell you know have kids say goodbye to the crew and everybody." So I went out and said that, and so forth. Because I didn't want to know what happened next as an audience member. I didn't want to know what was going to happen in season six. If someone tried to tell me, I, said, I don't want to hear anything. Uh, after we finished season five, I went to a fundraiser for Barack Obama out of someone's house in Beverly Hills. And they were excited that I was there because yeah, he's a huge Game of Thrones fan. They were all big Game of Thrones fans. So I went yeah, you, you're there for a little cocktail thing, whatever, some lunch or whatever, and then you have your picture taken with the president. Yeah. So I walked up to, to the president, and Jordan Kaplan, who's the head of DNC Finance or something, said this is David Nutter who directed, the, the, you know, Reigns Casting, Red Wedding, and all that stuff. And then he looked at me, and he, he directed something in, Brock put his hand, left hand on my right, my shoulder, and shook my hand. He says, "You didn't kill Jon Snow, did you?" Oh, and I said, "Yes, sir. He's deader than dead." Then he turned away and said, "You kill all my favorite characters."
1: <laughs> Brock's said, uh, yes, that. yes. So uh. what
2: what happened was is that then a year goes by, and I actually told him about the story because I saw him again at another event uh, at, at Comic Con. I said this at Comic Con, people kind of like freaked. But what happened was, is the fact that a year later he came back alive, of course, and it came out in the newspapers that David Nutter had lied to the president. <laughs>
1: <laughs> David Nutter
0: is a liar. I'm going to Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, do you, to me, the intimidating thing is if, like, they just said, "Hey, direct the actors. Don't worry about the all the th- CGI shit and the giant ships that are going on and the explo-. Like, there's so, like, do you, there's so many people working on this. Do you feel like? You have a lot of help. Like you could just really focus on a lot of the or Do you have to be part of all that shit?
2: Well, as, uh, on Game of Thrones, the great thing about it is this is the fact that I can direct. But directing is everything, isn't it? It's not just directing the actors. You're you're going to the production designer. You're talking to them. And you're going to the location scouts. I'm blocking out the actors. I'm figuring out the the blocking, the you know, rudimentary camera moves, and so forth, and all that, and and working with the, and doing the doing the whole whole deal. So I I think if that's my responsibility as a director anyway, to to be involved in all that stuff. But the great thing is that I don't have to check up on people. I don't have to go back and, you know, the prop guys they are have their shit
0: together. They all have their shit together very, very much. Have you ever been on set where you're like, uh, we can't do this. Like, it's not working. It's just not working. We're going to have to reshoot this or something. Have you ever had to reshoot something? Uh, a story comes to mind in Palm Springs directing
2: – Greg Avigan and Connie Selica, This is a guy from B.J. and the Bear, and Connie Selica from Hotel, for Glenn Larson, who was trying to make a resurgence in television. And we were shooting in Palm Springs. This crazy show. I forget the name of it. Whatever. Right. We uh, they wanted to do this big, huge sequence, and I said, "Guys, we're never, we're never going to make the day if the sun's going to drop." So, I said, "We should shoot this direction before you know, before the sun goes down. And then come back and shoot that." And they said, "No, no, we got to shoot the reverse. We have to shoot the reverse." I said, okay, you know, it's not going to work. So we shot everything in that direction, and they said, well, shoot up against the sand dunes. And all the, everyone was like, "What the? what's happening here? And I said, well, the producer wants us to shoot against the sand dunes, so we'll do one take for each shot and just do it. And I knew they had to come back. Jesus. But, you know, warned them. I warned them. But, but 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 there have been other occasions, I think, where something may not just went uh, right or something, but they've blocked out of my memory now.
0: I'm going to say a show. Of all these episodes, I, w- I want you to just give a word or some, a sentence, one sentence of what comes to mind when you hear the show. Okay? Okay. For instance, if I said Roswell, 1999, you shot the pilot, what would you say about that experience?
2: Um, I directed a movie just before that called Disturbing Behavior. Uh-huh. And they had wanted a director who directed X-Files and wanted to do it, I guess, except for teenagers. And it was the worst experience of my life. And I didn't know if I still could direct. So right after that, I get brought, brought into Fox and he said, we want like you to direct this Roswell pilot with Jason Katoms. And I read this script and I said, this is mag- magic. This is just what I want to do. And as I have to say of all the pilots that I've done, that's the one that gave me my, my mojo back, I guess, mm-hmm. because I realized I could direct and it would turn out really, really well. And, uh, it was a show that was uh, for Fox, Fox Network at the time, but they had a new president. He didn't like the show. It only
0: lasted a couple of years.
2: Actually, it lasted three years. But what happened was that, mm-hmm. that fact that Fox was going to buy the show up for the Fox Network, and then apparently they got, a, they got a copy of the pilot at Warner Brothers. And Bob Daly, who was the president of Warner Brothers, saw the pilot and turned around and said, this is the best director pilot I've seen in the year. we got to get it. So they started negotiating with, with, with the WB, the Fox did, it, about getting the yeah. show.
0: I love that show.
2: Oh, I did, too. I thought it was, was something quite special. And um, what happened was they started to negotiate the point. It got to the point where it was on, it, we got 22 episodes, which is never heard of anymore. 22 new episodes behind Dawson's Creek. And it was, I was really, that was something really, it was very. Did you love the
0: that show? It was a, Appleby?
2: Oh, yeah. It, they were all fantastic. It was the best, highest testing pilot in the history of 20th century Fox television. Jesus.
0: Dark Angel. Go to back to Dark Angel 2000.
2: Well. I had just done Roswell, and I, I told Jason Kims, I want to stay on and be a producer-director. It was the first time I wanted to do that. But I wasn't a good producer-director because I wasn't someone that could actually oversee other directors. I didn't like to do that part. So I got a call from my agent saying, Jim Cameron wants to meet you on... James Cameron. Wants to meet you on,
0: <laughs> on Dark Angel. Are you shitting your pants at this point?
2: Yeah, oh, yeah. This is right after Titanic. Oh, and he was like the biggest on. Guy on the planet. So I uh, went and had a meeting, and they like what i had to say and i read the script and off we I, well, off I went to do dark angel the great thing about dark angel is the fact that I had an audience of one if james cameron liked it i'd be happy that's all that mattered to me
0: and he loved it it turned out well yeah did he call you and say dave come direct titanic 2 <laughs> no he didn't go he, <laughs> he didn't do that how no. about avatar 5 M- nothing M- still maybe then came a show smallville 2001 was that a good experience for you
2: that was a fantastic experience because what happened was is I sat down with Peter Roth, and uh, he was the president of, of course, Warner Brothers Television. He wanted to like do the young Superman. He said, we're not going to do Superboy. We have to do the young Superman. And I said, what happened, my, my goal in that, that whole experience was the fact that Superman at that point was not the cool superhero. He wasn't Batman. He was the most iconic classic superhero that was kind of removed from being real or any kind of sense of believability as a person. I said, but Clark Kent, as a teenager, there's a lot of things that he can't have. He doesn't know where he's from, he doesn't know where he's going. He looks in the mirror sometimes and sees a monster and sometimes sees an angel and sometimes there's parts of of his life that he really has lots of issues with growing up. Every teenager can relate to that. If I can make the world real, then we have something special. And by the the casting of of yourself and... and, uh, and, uh, and and tom and everybody it was just it was it was amazingly turned out great i was very very happy with that
0: other great shows you know and we talked about briefly but we, we were both shocked by the whole allison thing you know we talked about that oh yes 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 sure and that was like you know people always say how was it working with allison she was wonderful right she was
2: fantastic what a, she was such was a pleasure a such a treat everyone is a pleasure to work
0: with it was a great working experience yeah that's how i felt Supernatural. Let's let's. I'm passing a couple, but I'm just going to go to Supernatural because that has lasted. What is it? 14 seasons. 14 seasons. And people don't understand this, Rob. I don't know if you know this, but when you direct the pilot, you get paid for every episode that airs in the series. I did not know that. Is that correct? Everyone they make, yeah. Everyone they make. Now, is that negotiable? The the price. Well, the it can be. Yeah, absolutely. So it doesn't have to be like $5,000 per episode. It could be more.
2: <laughs> no, no, Supernatural. Well, the thing about Supernatural was this, is the fact that Supernatural, like a lot of the other shows that I've worked on that like actually grabs me, was the fact that this was a show about two brothers that lost their mother in the in the opening sequence and are looking for their dad. My dad died in a car accident when he was a year and a half old. So these stories about, about families that aren't quite... Together and trying to form and so forth has always been something that uh, has affected me and something I get drawn to. I want to do a pilot where the story has to be told. The characters have to be do what they're doing. It's not a choice. So that's something that really matters. And to me, this was something that was a great story. It wasn't about the scary stuff at all. It was about two brothers looking for their dad after losing their mother. That was something that I thought was
0: very special. Wow. And those guys are great, Jared and Jensen are. Jared and Jensen those. are fantastic.
2: Uh, it was he funny. was on uh, Smallville. He did many yeah, episodes of Smallville. Jensen, Jensen tested for Clark Kent.
0: Yep, that's and
2: right. it's also a situation when we did when we did the, the casting for Jared and Jensen. Um, it was a situation in which uh, Jensen was originally going to play the, the, the other character, the Sam role. And so uh, Eric Kripke and I called Jensen. And I said, hey, guy, how would you like to do the?" We kept kind of referring to Skywalker, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. Right. And I said, how would you like to play Han Solo? <laughs> and he said, sounds do good to me. And of course, it turned out beautifully.
0: Wow. Uh, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles.
2: Well, it was interesting. I, Jim Cameron was not involved in that. But I remember sitting down with the, uh, the writer and the producer. And, and we sat down at a table for four. And I said, this empty chair, that's James Cameron's chair so this is it has to be worthy of his of his name on it and uh, that was something very important and, and it was also the real special thing was with that was was a tremendous script but finding Lee Tahiti was uh, was really the
0: for me, they, was, they said 700 other guys aren't doing this right. I'm like, what the fuck are they doing wrong? How did you, there's a lot of better actors than me. What, what's the difference? And uh, you never know what the difference is. I don't know sure. if it's like, something that they – whatever is in the creator's minds or the director's mind. It's like when you walk into a room, I always say, before you say anything, they know if you're the type right away.
2: Oh, yeah. And, and also, too, it's interesting is the fact that executives don't always get it right. You know, I, I, I did a pilot once and i can't say what it was but but uh, had an actor come in and read for the role and after he read for the role the president of, this, of the of the studio not the network or the or the, or the or the studio but the president of the company he was a huge he was like the the huge, huge kahuna second command of this huge uh, company right turned to me in a small room with too many people in it and said dave what did you see in this actor and I said, "Well, he was this, this, and that, and all these kind of serious things. I thought was very special about him." He said, "I didn't see any of that. That was Heath Ledger.
0: Wow. So, yeah, that's what happened. And that guy who made that decision probably had a degree in marketing. Probably so. Oh, yes. So. Yes. We can go quickly here. Uh, Arrow and Flash. Arrow and Flash were, were
2: me going coming back to my roots of Smallville again. Do both those shows, were shows that basically started in the real world, and." What happened to these characters? changed them. So I love telling origin stories like that. Um, like I, I couldn't direct like the Supergirl pilot because that that feels like already a little too already there. Yeah. So to me, if I can if I can render a sense of uh, real world to it or any sense of uh, some reliability as far as the real world's concerned, I always jump at that chance and do, make turn it into something special. Because well, those are
0: two great experiences. Uh, I just had Stephen Amell on.
2: He was the first actor that walked in after the role, and I saw his picture and I said, "That's
0: the guy." He said. David Nutter gave me a thumbs up and said, "See you in Vancouver." Before I had been approved by the WB, the CW, and Les Moonves, but you did
2: that. Well, that's what happens, you know. You, you, you it's like uh, my wife. When I was uh, met my wife for the first time, she opened the door and I fell in love and walked in the editing room or garage of the house. This guy was cutting the movie in, and I laid down these film canisters and said it aloud to myself. I'm gonna marry that girl. She can be the mother of my kids. It's, it's love at first sight. You have two kids. yeah I have two kids, and it's really love at first sight. It's one of those things where it's like that kind of charisma is quite special.
0: What do you? What do you? What else can you do? What do, I mean? What else do you want to do? do you, will you ever retire? You're 58. You said. Yeah. Do you ever see yourself being uh, retiring at a young age? Or you, there's too much left in the in the mind.
2: No, I th- I think I need to work because it keeps me young. It keeps me keeps me going, keeps me excited. I need that passion, the the passion of work. I need I need that feeling. It's something that really means the world to me.
0: It's like a second lover in a way. You got the, your wife who you love, oh, and your very, work
2: very much, very much. So it was a situation which me coming back to Game of Thrones this year. You know, I was still kind of getting myself back on my feet uh, and coming to do these the three episodes. I was going kind of like, oh man, can I do it? Can I do it? Can I do it? But the minute I got the script, the minute I land landed in Belfast, the minute I got the apartment, the minute I walked on set, I felt like a million bucks.
0: What did you What did you do after you read the first episode in the final season of Game of Thrones? When you read, did you read all six?
2: I actually n- not only read all. I, I didn't. Here is what happened: is they had a read through of all six of all the actors read all the scenes in a
0: private room with a lot of security. Oh yes, yes, very much so. Like people had to be like make sure there is no uh, audio cassette. There is no nothing. There is. I mean, how strict is it to come in here, to come into a room to do a reading? Like, did you have to go through a security thing? It, was, it wasn't quite that that bad, but it was
2: pretty pretty tight. That's for sure. What's interesting is the fact that I, I was directing episodes one, two, and four. So I read one, two, three, four. I didn't read 5 and 6. Because as a fan, you didn't want to. I wanted to hear them when they were read. So I actually got a chance to watch it that way. Did you? And I'll tell you one secret. What? Kit Harrington? Yeah? He was reading it. He hadn't read it before. So in the read-through, it was his first time to read some of the sequences that
0: happened. Did any of the actors cry during the readings?
2: Maybe they'd be in tears as other actors perform stuff, yeah
0: that's of ambiguous yet really interesting you fuck (laughs) (laughs) no but think about it so you're saying that some people responded to other actors reading certain things for the first time for the first time yeah did you cry at all in the reading did you get emotional on set i got emotional at the end
2: of, of like the christmas break i said goodbye to the crew and a couple other times yeah
0: what was it the best experience you've had in your life
2: yes
1: they're doing like six spinoffs, though, right? You can do all of those. They're doing one. One? one, 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 one spinoff.
0: Are you gonna work on it, maybe?
2: Well, we'll see what happens. Keep our fingers crossed.
0: You can't really say too much, can you?
2: Uh, well, I know, I know that uh, I think it's out Jane Goldman who wrote uh, uh, Kick Ass and uh, the uh, uh, Kingsman, the Kingsman. Oh yeah, She yeah. wrote the Kingsman, Kick Ass. She's wrote, she's written it, and uh, they're getting you know they're moving along forward to make it happen. I think.
0: How many offers do you get a year?
2: I wish my agent would tell me the truth. I'm not quite sure about that one. But I, I do have a commitment to Warner Brothers for every year to direct a pilot for them. I've had it for since Smallville.
0: That's 2001. So you've had it for 17 years so far. How long does it last?
2: Well, it's kind of re-upped and changed every couple years
0: or whatever. So it's a deal. It's like, it's deal, yeah. and, you, and you know how much you're getting paid for this pilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. This has been a real treat. Rob, isn't this? It's so educational, and it's, you're an amazing human being. But you're just like such a passionate guy. And I think, you know, I always like, why is David such a great director? But and we talked about it. But I think that's it's it's your real love, your wife, and your work, your family, and your and your work. And, well,
2: you know what it is is the fact that um, there's two things that work in a relationship: vulnerability and trust. And I think that if you show your vulnerability, and people can trust you, I think that they'll follow you. And they also want a Pied Piper. They want someone who knows what they're doing. They want someone who has an idea. A crew will work, and actors will work ten times harder if they know that there's a there's a plan. They don't mind doing something where they have to. Do, they get time to shoot an extra take or an extra scene, an extra shout or something to make them look better or to get into the shot more, as long as they know that there's a plan involved. So that's to me, is something that I'm a big believer in is rehearsal and making sure the actors know that there's
0: a plan. Do you, you, you have a, a say in pilots that you direct always? Is that part of your deal? Like, I want to help, help cast this person? Uh, in, in casting, yes.
2: I like to be involved in the casting very much. That's a big part of it.
0: So the next time you're casting something, is there a possibility if something is right for me, you'll think of me again? Absolutely. And think, yeah. you know, this guy gave me a good performance. You oh. see how I'm working an angle here? he's working you do this in almost every interview now well why not he's my friend he knows my ability he directed me he knows what i'm capable of
2: and he's so much better now after all these years of experience oh my god
0: a little older but uh still handsome you know relatively relatively yeah you too you look good i couldn't believe you're 58 i thought you were like a little older than me maybe two years yeah thank you for allowing me to be inside of you david nutter
2: well it was a lot of fun you being there and playing around and uh fortunately there's a lot of room for you that was good
0: (laughs) did you enjoy it
2: i had a great time i mean this is great i really learned so much great audience too
0: yeah rob thanks for being here